In the Fuzzy Memories podcast, we celebrate the good, the rad, and the fugly of the 80s and 90s. We're three latchkey kids who made it out alive. And in each episode, we break down all the culture that popped one year at a time. Whether it's the birth of legends. I'm Lyme disease free today and I have Whitney Houston and MTV to thank. (laughs) Or audacious moves. Imagine also the the poor Golden Gate Bridge. You turn 75 and people have a party on you. I don't want that. Or even confusing PSAs. In the stop, drop, and roll. I mean, we would, I assume as an adult, I would catch on fire weekly. All the time! (laughs) We've got a take that will make you laugh. We've also got thoughts on all sorts of random phenomena and the most unmitigated of golf. Why sharks can't be trusted, people can't be trusted, and rivers can't be trusted. (laughs) It's collusion. It's of the highest degree! Uh Uh-huh. You were counseling me to start my remarks with, first of all, bitch. <laughs> that one, everyone in that room would have snapped to attention. It's going to be basically coffee lids, shark revenge, and then maybe like Matt gets. <laughs> we need to do something about him. Join us every other Wednesday to celebrate the hits, the misses, and the misfits of the weirdest decades. If I could tell my 14-year-old self from 1990 that I would be eating in a cheesecake factory in, in Beverly, Beverly Hills, I'd be like, we did it. We, we did it, Joe. We did it. <laughs> Listen and subscribe to Fuzzy Memories on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and your favorite podcast platform. Hey, Broads and Books listeners. We've got an exciting offer for you. Libro FM lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. With Libro.fm, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same prices as you'll find elsewhere, but you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports community. And listeners of Broads and Books get three audiobooks for the price of one. To listen, all you need is a smartphone and the free Libro FM app. From there, you check out recommendations and curated lists from the people who know audiobooks best local booksellers. We love this deal because we love audiobooks and we love supporting local and indie bookstores. To get your special deal for listening to Broads and Books, go to Libro.fm, L-I-B-R-O dot F-M and enter Broads and Books, all one word. You can find that URL and the special code in this episode's show notes in your podcast player and on our website. Hello, and welcome to Broads and Books. I'm Amy. And I'm Erin, and this is a special Broads and Books bonus episode. We have talked to some incredible authors in the last few months, Erin. We have. This bonus series has been the most fun. We learn all kinds of surprising things about our favorite authors, our favorite books. We get to see them. We get to see their faces. That's been a super cool little addition yeah. on Zoom. Before we were just listening to them. Which was great too. But yes. Wow. It's wonderful. So today on the Broads Talk Books with, we've got Janie Venasco. I recommended her book, Things We Didn't Talk About When I Was a Girl, in episode 46. We got Jeannie on Zoom, and the conversation was one of those that really just could have gone on forever. Yeah, it really could. Yes, I could have stayed on for days. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's what we do with our authors going forward, is just keep a, a continual Zoom yeah. on, just all day long, just checking in. Yes. They wouldn't find that intrusive, no, right? Like, yeah. If you agree, what you're going to do is mm-hmm. just like a 48-hour Zoom marathon with us. <laughs> we want to see everything. We want to see your daily life, yeah. all of it. Every part. Well, we didn't do that, but Jeannie revealed a lot about her reading adolescence, talked to us about badass old cats, which you know I love, Yes, and shared crazy stories of some of the fan interactions she's had. You can find all of the books that Jeannie mentions in the show notes on your podcast player and on our website. Just take our word for it. Go put them all on your TBR pile. For sure. We did. We did. They're all there. Yeah. A few more isn't going to hurt. Nope. Sure not. And now here's our interview with Jeannie Venasco. When you think back about being a kid and a teenager and being a reader then, was there a specific uh, book that you really liked at that time? Were there several books? When I was a kid, I would say Amelia Bedelia. 
I loved, <laughs> loved it. Yes. Yeah, because like when you're a kid, you're already thinking a lot about language and how it works and why is that the word for something? And, and you know, and she was a maid for a wealthy couple and they would give her instructions, like, as you know, and she would misinterpret them by being so literal. So like when they would tell her to you know, draw the drapes, she, you know, drawing a picture and nice. thrust the chicken, putting it in later hosen. And, um, <laughs> but one of my favorites was, cause I was going back and looking at, um, some old Amelia Bedelia books and dust the furniture. Um, she sprinkled a bunch of powder over all of the furniture. Cause I was like, <laughs> so then they would have to stay like undust the furniture. So I love that. Like, I, and I'm sure someone has done like a Marx. This is somebody with a PhD in children's literature has probably done some like Marxist analysis of Amelia Bedelia. And <laughs> you know, like, cause, cause I think when it came out, it was around the time of Betty Friedan's A Feminine Mystique, I think. And so yeah, I mean, like, I'll leave that to a, a PhD, but um, I just like the pleasure of her misinterpreting language um, and then like screwing things up for a wealthy family. It was just so, <laughs> so much fun. And then my, my mom had been raised by her great grandmother and she cleaned houses for a living. And so obviously like her, um, my great, great grandmother was dead by the time I was born, but it was interesting to me because just like this, I don't know, portal to understanding like someone in my family who also, you know, cleaned houses. So I, I mean, I doubt she misinterpreted things like that. It'd be but great um, um, yeah. yeah, Amelia Bedelia, um, I think Charlotte's Web, mm. that was big when I was a kid. And then when I was in the fifth grade, I read Jim Carroll's The Basketball Diaries. That was a really important book for me. Do you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And on the cover, I found it at the library. And like on the cover was Leonardo DiCaprio because he had just done the movie. Yes. And I felt it gave me credit with the girls in my class who all had crushes <laughs> on like Leonardo DiCaprio. And meanwhile, like I had crushes on like uh, comedians. So, and I like loved the show Taxi back. So I like my not like I would have like told anyone, but I mean like Danny DeVito, <laughs> Chris Farley. Like when I think back, David Spade were like my childhood crushes, but but like Leonardo DiCaprio was who all the other girls liked. So it's like, yes. oh, they'd see me reading it and I seemed like I shared similar interests. Um, but that was, I mean, it was the first time I'd read a book where it's like a teenage um, Catholic school kid who's, I mean, playing basketball and writing poems, but also like doing heroin. And it was just so, um, and the voice was so raw. I, I, that was one of my, probably one of my favorite books in, in grade school. Well, another thing that we've talked about a lot on the podcast is, you know, as people are developing their reading lives, sometimes classics are shoved down throats way too early. So we've talked a lot about classics we struggled with that maybe would have prevented someone from finding something they really liked early on. The one that we said was Moby Dick. Is there a classic that you struggled with? I remember, well, Billy, uh, like on Melville, if I'm remembering, I can't remember if I actually liked Moby Dick or if I just said I liked Moby Dick <laughs> in high school. But um, uh, Billy Bud, I like... No, I could not get into Billy Bud. And then also, was it, um, was it Edith Hamilton's mythology? Is that the, who, and it's a, a book on all the God, like the gods. And I just, I don't know, like I could already, like I went through Catholic school and I couldn't keep the saints straight. And I'm like, oh my God, this, there's this whole other. <laughs> um, <no. laughs> and uh, the Odyssey, I just could not could not get into the Odyssey back in high school. Um, but I, yeah, those were the ones I think that were the hardest. Um, and it was really surprising to me when I learned later that Miss Havisham and Great Expectations is actually, according to Dickens' notes, she's supposed to be in her like late 30s or 40s, right? But like you oh. see portrayed as this very like old woman, especially in movies. Yeah. And she's actually, yeah, I'm like, oh, I'm like Miss Havisham's 
age base. Uh, I'm older than Miss Havisham. That's great. That's a good ego check right there. Yeah, terrible. <laughs> but I did, it reminds me though, I did, I dated my high school boyfriend. I don't know, it was like, I don't know why I dated him, but well, I do. One of the reasons was his college syllabi, um, his English syllabi. So I like something I struggled with, but I enjoyed the struggle was, oh no, I got the book off of his syllabi was um, uh, Tolstoy's uh, War and Peace. I actually like that I struggled with, but it was enjoyable. It was like this new form of writing. I'm like, what is this? And I would read it uh, at the local amusement park (laughs) because (laughs) um, (laughs) it was like a 10 minute drive away. So I'm from Sandusky, Ohio. You probably know Cedar Point, like Midwest. Yes. So back then a season pass was like $85 and the rest of the year, there wasn't a whole lot to do in Sandusky, Ohio. Um, so I would go there and read and my friends would see me who worked there and they're like, it's like, you're deliberately trying not to have fun. Like I'm reading Tolstoy at the amusement <laughs> park on the grassy knoll, but like the, that's where like all the stoners hung out and they never bothered me. So it was just, it, I don't know. It was like, I really, I enjoyed reading at the amusement park. <laughs> I like that. I think I would have liked that a lot more than the actual amusement park. If totally. I totally. Yeah. I mean, how many times can you ride a roller, the same roller coaster? I would ask my friends, like, but I can reread a book. Like, I feel like you can't read a book only once if you love it. Mm-hmm. Um, but a roller coaster, I mean, eventually it just gets boring. Yeah. Yeah. You know what's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> did you have um, either in your, uh, you know, teens or a little later, did you have any books that you particularly remember reading and then thinking like, I can do this. I want to be a writer. I don't know. I don't think I have the feeling like I can do this, but the, well, Hemingway was someone I liked when I was younger. Um, I did like Hemingway in high school. Um, But one of my favorite books in high school was Lolita. And so like reading that, I'm like, oh, I can't do this. But I just, the pleasure and language and the fact that like how he handles the narration where he, I think early on he says um, you can always count on a murderer for a fancy prose style. So like, you know, like he's taking you in and he's seducing you with language and um, which is why it's ridiculous that people would like, I I can't remember which magazine called it like the greatest love story for our time. Uh, It's like, no, it's not a love story, but I love that book. And um I remember it was like the first time I was driving out of town. I wasn't supposed to, and I was in my 85 LeBaron and I didn't want to take myself away from Lolita. So I got the book on tape where Jeremy Irons is reading it. Oh, wow. And it's oh. so good. And I drove off the road. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, I was fine, but we were, it was like Ohio, like a lot of cornfields. And I like got into a ditch and it was so cartoonish because there were these like farm boys who ran over and helped push the car back onto the road. So I don't, I, then I, I didn't listen to book on tape after that, but uh, Lolita was just like, Oh, that blew me away. Um, Hemingway, I felt like I read it and not to say that what he was doing was easy, but it was one of those instances where you read it and you're like, Oh, I can like, this plain style, I can imitate this like yeah. that. And so that, um, for as problematic and as Hemingway is, I, I think he was one of my, it's so embarrassing. Oh, I wasn't almost, gonna, I wasn't going to mention this. It's too embarrassing. But in eighth grade, I would, I remembered signing my notes to friends like Mrs. Hemingway or the few, but I think it was like maybe the future Mrs. Hemingway. I mean, I knew he was dead, but I don't know. It's like so pretentious, but also like weird. I haven't told, I don't think like my partner, Chris, even knows that I did that. But yes, that's what I, I really did love Hemingway early on. We're getting a very clear picture of you. As yes. A- yeah. <laughs> amusement park, Tolstoy, the amusement park, <laughs> car accident, listening to Bokov. <laughs> yeah, it's whatever. <laughs> we love it. <laughs> Um, how many books would you say are on your to be read pile now? And are there a few that you could share that you're excited to get to? 
Yeah, I know. Like the to be read pile, it's like ever growing. Um, some of them, let's see, I have it nearby, like Fran Ross's Oreo, which New Directions reissued. Mm -hmm. uh, Mira Jacobs' Good Talk, which I know, yes. Um, Amy Jo Burns' Shiner. Um, Percival Everett's Telephone. I don't know which version I got. You know, the Grey Wolf released, there are like three different, slightly different versions. Um, I don't know which one I have, but I'm, I'm excited to read that. And then um, this one, I, Indel Indelicacy, Amina Kane. I don't know, it just came out. Cool. And um, I was at a event, Kate Zambreno and Rachel Syme were doing at the Center for Fiction. Well, at the event, I was on the call, like as a... <laughs> Yeah, sitting in. And uh, I saw she was in, she was one of the people logged in and I had been meaning to read it. So I read, like started, I looked at the first page yesterday. I'm like, oh, I'll get to this. Like I was reading another book and then I couldn't put it down and I'm now like 95 pages in. And oh, wow. it's so it's so good. And um, uh, somebody else who was on that, this isn't TBR, but um, who was in that, uh, at that event was uh, Rebecca Godfrey. And I think Mona Awad mentions in her interview with you, the torn skirt, which I love the torn skirt. Oh my gosh. That is like one of my favorite novels. And I um, recently read Rebecca Godfrey's, the book um, about Under the, Under the Bridge, I think. I don't know if I have, yeah, Under the Bridge. Um, it's a nonfiction book about this murder that happens that these teenage girls commit. And so it's like really well done. Um, it's true. I mean, it's nonfiction, but the torn skirts, amazing. Um, but do you have them all like stack. I see you're sort of looking, do you have like a stack? Of I have like, yeah, a stack here. And then I have a bunch of, I mean, like I also like, I I'll start reading them and I just, I feel like I, I have books you can't see, but they're like pitched like tents all over my <laughs> home office. Um, and a lot of the ones that are like open are books I'm rereading on uh, my TBR. Like lately I've just been rereading a lot of books. Yeah. You mentioned focus. that before we started recording, has that been a way that you've been able to, um, to kind of get past this quarantine? Yes. Yeah. So I reread the torn skirt twice actually. And I was just like analyzing it. I mean, the, her range of like the lyricism in it is just phenomenal. Um, it was rereading that, just rereading so much. Rereading, finally reread um, Italo Calvino because we adopted an, another cat and we named him Calvino. And <laughs> we're trying to decide what to call him. And then Chris is like, I don't know, do we have to do another author? And, <laughs> and so I was like, okay, we'll do a fun, like a fun author. I'm not going to like name him like Janae or, you know. Um, so when I suggested Calvino, originally Chris suggested, he's like, what about Kifawithic? You know, for the narrator of Cosmic Comics, but it's spelled like Q-W-F, and then W-Q, I can't remember. Anyway, it's like unpronounceable. I was like, that's just mean. <laughs> <laughs> like I have actually used to pronounce it Queefquack. Um, and Chris is pretty sure it's Kippawithic, but I think Calvino, the author, chose that name because yes. he was interested in how people would pronounce it. Um, so yeah, we did not name him Kippawithic, but I've been rereading Calvino, Italo Calvino as a result. Um, he's, he's been, he was one of my favorite authors. Well, now knowing that the cats are named after authors, we need to know the cats' names. Yes. So um, Bishop is the other cat after Elizabeth Bishop. And okay, so then you'll appreciate this. Definitely nerding out. The other reason I wanted to name Calvino Calvino is because we could call him Cal. And Elizabeth, <laughs> Elizabeth Bishop uh, was friends with Robert Lowell and his nickname was Cal. So it does like extra, <laughs> extra work. <laughs> Um, they do not get along though. Um, oh. Calvino is like 10 and he had health problems. So when we saw him at the shelter, I was like, yeah, of course. Oh, a heart murmur, 10 years old. Yes. Like, <laughs> yes. Mm -hmm. Um, and then we had like, when I was on my tour for the second book, Flannery, 
um, she died, unfortunately, and that was hard. I was devoted to Flannery, uh, but obviously after Flannery O'Connor, and she had three legs. She came with three legs. I didn't, um, <laughs> I like don't want people, it's like, cause before Calvino, we had two three-legged cats. And I think people, I was like, I didn't, I, I found myself, it was very suspicious, like introducing them and being like, I didn't do it. Like, on <laughs> like one of them came that way. And then the other one developed a very rare bone tumor and that <laughs> determined we got more. And then I'm like telling people way too much. It's like very suspicious. I'm like, they're like, this is even more suspicious with, yeah. All I'm like we saw multiple vets that determined it was the most humane option because of her age. So we had bishops that was missing her like front right leg. Flannery <laughs> was missing her hind right leg. <laughs> um, so Calvino is not an amputee. Okay. <laughs> um, yes. He just came old. Yes. just old. When I was on tour, I had to tell myself before interviews, I was like, don't talk about Flannery. Don't like bring this around <laughs> to Flannery. But anyway, I was like, don't talk about your cats. Like you have to talk about the book. <laughs> and, like somehow I would bring it around. I don't even remember what I was like, wh what I was going to say, what you asked me. <laughs> I, I don't even remember. I have no idea either. So we'll just we'll just keep moving on. Okay. Because, yeah. <laughs> we liked all of them, by the way. Yeah, we want it. Yeah. We want you can't go wrong with those kind of stories with us. <laughs> Thank you. Well, we were talking about some of the books that were on your to be read pile, but of the books that you have been reading, either um, you know, rereading or um, something new, has there been something that surprised you recently? You know, have you read Miriam Taves? Uh, all my puny sorrows. No, but we. It's, heard, yeah, that's like my favorite one. Like my, my fa favorite contemporary novel. One of my favorite. I have a lot of friends who are novelists, so it's like it's one of my favorite contemporary novels. Um, I have read that maybe a dozen times, and I had to go back and read it again because I was like, I wanted to make sure I didn't accidentally plagiarize because I've read it so many times, yeah. and I was having like. I was, I bought an, I even, like, I bought an ebook. I have several versions of it or several copies of it. Um, but then I bought the ebook version so I could do a search, a global search of the book to make sure I'm like, did I? Okay, good. Like, it's okay. Um, because the voice, it's about, um, so it was originally released in Canada and then McSweeney's did the U.S. printing, the first U.S. printing. And now I don't know, I think a, a bigger publisher has since taken on rights, but um, the narrator's sister is a successful pianist, and um, she has recently attempted to kill herself, but it's not the first time, and she's in the hospital, and you know that their father, it's how their father had died, and it's very, like, it could be seen, as, like, obviously devastating, and it's based on some of Miriam Taves' real life. Her sister and her father and Bill did kill themselves. Um, but it's so funny. It's one of the funniest books I've ever like laugh out loud. Funny. Um, the, it's so voice driven. She's like really quick. Like she's got these like quick, um, jokes and they're, but they're not delivered. It's very like, it's delivered as if she's not trying to be funny. It's just, who her narrator is. It's one of my, it's one of my favorite books. I love women talking and I've read all of her other books, but all my puny sorrows is just, I, everyone I recommend it to then comes away like, Oh my God, that was my, like, that is the most amazing book. Fantastic. Oh, oh yeah. that's so fun when we have interviews yeah. and learn about something that we know we're going to love. That's awesome. Yeah. That we're ordering right now, like off to the side, if you see me. <laughs> so, oh my God, it's so good. Um, and then um, Betsy Bonner, it doesn't come out till the fall. Betsy Bonner's The Book of Atlantis Black. We share an editor. Um, and I read that in a day. Didn't want to stop. So suspenseful. Um, it's about her. It's nonfiction. Her sister went missing and um presumably it was her body that Betsy Bonner doesn't know her sister's body that was discovered in a hotel in a um hotel room in Mexico um and she doesn't know I mean her sister seems to have been dead but it was never it's very mysterious circumstances her sister was a musician 
And I just love how the book is structured. It's that she's also a poet. And so there's a very like, while the language is very straightforward, there's a lyricism and how she builds out the details and how she builds the structure where there are like shorter chapters with um, like one sentence lines of um, interviews her sister gave to like on this documentary. It's so, it's like so good. It comes out with Tin House and august oh cool okay um sounds amazing that definitely surprised me um yeah i don't know so many i mean it's like it's like so it's so many like so many i could keep going like i we hear it for sure well you mentioned that you have a few friends that are authors and novelists how do you find your book recommendations normally definitely my friends. My friend Jung Yoon, who wrote this great novel, Shelter, and her next book, I think it's going to come out next year. Obviously, the pandemic is throwing stuff yeah. off. Yeah. Um, but she had re- recommended Samantha Hunt's um, story collection. But I, I haven't read it yet. It's, on, it's another on my TBR. Um, but I love The Seas. Um, and that, yeah, that, that was great. Um, independent booksellers, definitely. Uh, I feel like my wardrobe wall in pandemic, obviously no bra, but um, t- like why? <laughs> yeah. um, but t-shirts from bookstores that I've visited because you can only get so many books back in- into your luggage. Yes. So I would, like I would get shirts and tote bags, like the swag from the stores, like I'm wearing Madison Street books. And um, the bookseller there, Javier Ramirez, I love his recommendations. Um, Betsy's memoir was one of them. Um, and then Jamie Thomas at Women and Children First. I She's like great with book recommendations. So I don't know about you guys, but that's one thing I miss so much right now is A, going to the library and B, going to like our favorite bookstore. Mm-hmm. I just miss it so much. I really miss it. And I was actually thinking about it with, um, because of Percival Everett's telephone, because I don't know which one I got. And like, I want to get all three (laughs) versions, but you don't know, like you can't choose. Um, But yeah, I miss just like opening a book in a store and like starting to read it. And I'm like really annoying and probably in bookstores, though I find booksellers appreciate it because I'll go and like try to hand sell copies of of books myself. I'll see someone looking. (laughs) Like I did that for Heather Crystal's The Crying Book. Like someone just picks up a book. I'm like, oh, oh my gosh. Like you, have you read that? And like get really excited about it. So I try and I try and do that when I can. Like but like hype man at the indie bookstore. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, as you know, we recommended um, things we didn't talk about when I was a girl in a previous episode. I just loved it so much. Thank you so much. Did you like you know, because I can see, well, a couple things. You mentioned earlier that you really like the way that Amelia Bedelia plays with language. And then even like Nabokov and how he sort of seduces with language. And I see so much with language in your memoir. Are there any other books that kind of pushed you to writing the way you did that sort of inspired you as you wrote that? That's interesting. I never... Like, I love that I'm now thinking about my book in the context with Amelia Bedelia. I mean, thinking about, like, the way that you define sexual yeah. playing with it. Yeah, all of that. Yeah, I mean, I think, like, in terms of voice-driven literature, probably, like, poetry, like, that pressure on language that originally, like, I, well, I went to college originally to study journalism, and then... I went to Northwestern for undergrad and I did the, um, their creative writing program in undergrad. You do the year long sequence. At that point they only had poetry and then they had fiction and I did, you could do it your junior year. And so I did poetry then, and then I did fiction senior year and the focus on, I think my focus on poetry really helped me think about, um, like the entomol, like what's the history of a word? What are like the, I don't know what I guess Emerson would call like fossil poetry, like the poetry that's inherent in the history of a word. I think definitely um, there are certain poets who certain, who uh, also affected how I like, how I wrote, like having like that layer of meta narrative. Because I think about in a lot of poetry that I love, it refers to itself, like the ref- the writing process. Um, like James Schuyler's Morning of the Poem, 
Um, the idea is that he writes this poem in a single morning. Um, that influenced me. A huge, that was a huge influence on me in undergrad. Um, but yeah, I think like having had really great poetry teachers mm-hmm. in, in college, um, where, you know, you would, you would think about why did you include this word? Is there a different, why, like, like really pushing you and asking you to really scrutinize every single line. Yeah. Well, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it obviously shows the way that you're kind of dealing with language and the words that you use. I, that's one thing I wish that I had more of in college was more like poetry driven classes. I just didn't have that. And I think that some of my reading of poetry would be much more aided by that. And even, you know, further reading, like you said, with getting more into the language, I can see how that would really drive it. Yeah. And I think in high school, the way, certainly like the way I was taught poetry, it was this, like, what does it mean? Like everything had to be, it wasn't like taking pleasure in the language or having the poem. It, It wasn't like an experience. It was like, what does this symbolize? Right. Everything was like, what does it symbolize? And actually like, I really did not like, I had first read Elizabeth Bishop in high school and I'm like, I don't, okay. She caught like, they caught a fish and let it go (laughs) because like we're looking at the, the meaning or like what's, what's in the narrative in the poem and just not taking pleasure in, um, in the wordplay. And so I think like when I got to college and started to learn how to read like a writer, that definitely, um, that influenced me so much to the point where I'm like really bad at plot summary. Like that actually like stre- that stresses me out so much. If someone's like, what's the book about? I'm like, ah, well, there's this amazing image, like, oh my God, like on page 92, you just have to read it. Like, I just, I'll forget characters, um, forget the storyline, but I will remember, that's the thing about the torn skirt is like the, it's, read it for the language. It's so, it's so beautiful. Um, And it's a, like a propulsive story. Um, But I'd say like, Poetry really taught me just to take pleasure in, in language. Yeah. Well, you mentioned earlier that you had been on some book tours, and we like to ask, what is your most uh, memorable fan interaction, whether that was weird or funny or touching or yeah. crazy? Um, I would say, well, I received a lot of, not on the tour per se, I received a lot of le- letters from prisoners like a lot Ah. (laughs) and they're like long letters (laughs) but they were coming to my um university address and so and on the outside the envelope it's stamped like sent from a correctional facility so I don't know what like the administrative assistant was thinking like what is Jeannie like corresponding with all of these prisoners (laughs) but um so that was weird like and they were men who were imprisoned for sexual assault or for and they're telling me that they read my book and that they're like it was really important for them to understand how much like it can have a lasting effect on a survivor so that was really fascinating and they like one of the guys who wrote to me said he was passing it around in the prison so I was like I don't like cool. Like I'm glad. Um, so I I mean, I didn't ever wrote back. I didn't want to start that up. Um, yeah, that's a good move. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and then a lot of like younger women at have come up to talk to me at readings and then it's cute. Like when they've also read the glass eye and then they're, you know, then they're really excited, but then they start to tell me everything they know about me. And I'm like, yeah, but you don't know my social security number. Like, because <laughs> they just go through a list of. I don't know. It's to like prove they read everything. Um, oh, but weird. that's always a little bit weird because then I don't know what to. I don't know what to say after that. Like, I don't. I don't know how I to follow that. Aaron and I have often wondered what that must be like for memoir writers to have mm-hmm. like people who maybe identify with you and maybe put some things on you that you're not really ready to accept and that yeah it seems like it could be a lot mm-hmm. yeah and I received for a while I took my email address off my website um and then also off my I had the university removed from my faculty page because early on I had gotten some hate mail 
and it, for the second book. And it was from people who had said they hadn't read the book. Um, they're like, I don't need to read the book to know you're a terrible person. I can't believe you did this. Um, it made me laugh though. Like more than one person was like, I hope you make a lot of money from it. I was like, the <laughs> writing world really. Wow. Oh, like, yeah, clearly like I'm publishing it with an independent press based in Portland, Oregon, because I'm trying to make so much money. Um, and I wrote it with a layered with a meta narrative. Um, I've gotten more like nice messages by far, but you know, the negative ones stay in your head. And so, but I got one during the, like after the pandemic started and I feel like that, you know, like the good place, did you watch the good place? You know, you get so many, like you lose so many points (laughs) and I'm like, you just lost a shitload of points. Like so many points. So many. You emailed an author who I mean not trying to get a pass because of what I wrote about, but to like go out of your way during a pandemic when everyone's stressed out. Even the people who believe it's a hoax are stressed out. Um and to tell someone that she's a horrible person because and I that that was yeah, that was upsetting. I mean, I actually yeah. replied, and but I said I was nice in the reply, and um, and then I showed it to Chris, and he's like, "Oh, she's gonna feel so bad." I was like, "Oh, <laughs> I wasn't trying to make her feel bad. Well, maybe she uh, deserves that." Yeah, it's, maybe she needed to. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm grateful when someone reads the book, even if, and I told it like even if they, because I understand reading's a commitment, and even if someone disagrees with me, like that's okay. Um, I just, I appreciate that she gave it time, but what was interesting was she thought what she took away from the book was that I insulted Trump and I like that. I clearly, like, I should have focused on all these Democrats who've committed sexual assault or have been accused of it. And I'm like, no, I think we actually agree agree in some way that we believe we both of us believe that regardless of political party someone can be guilty of sexual assault like it's not along partisan lines and so yeah and she went on about like trump is a is an excellent leader and we are so lucky to have him (laughs) it's like oh god okay and also yeah. missing the entire point of the book, but that's good. Yeah. 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 I just like, I, I was like, wait, that's what you took from it? Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's hard. Like once the book is out there, you can't control how people read it, but. Yeah. But man, that, I don't think you could have predicted that one, no matter what. That's, yeah. I think people like that would have found that in any kind of book. You know, some people that are so narrow minded and can't open up that no matter what they read, they're going to put it into their own view. And like, this is clearly what it must mean because that's how I feel. So. Exactly. Yeah. So that was hard. Well, I'm glad that the book reached a larger audience, um, you know, outside of like the indie press people who are, you know, into indie press books. Um, It did end up drawing in more hate mail, but more, but more positive emails. And that was like, heartbreaking because I would get so many messages from women telling me about their own experiences with sexual assault. And, um, at an event, there was a woman, she was in her, she told me she was uh, 67 years old and, um, it was in Kansas city. And, and afterwards she said, she still, um, she still thinks about her. She started crying. Like she was, um, uh, raped when she was in college. She was drugged and her husband was there with her and he was trying not to cry. And it was just like, that's, it, yeah. That, so it was like very, very emotional. Um, but uh, yeah, the the prisoners in terms of weird fan, and I was not expecting to get like eight page handwritten letters from prisoners. But I mean, I don't know, like maybe they don't have a lot to do. Like, yeah, maybe too. And maybe, you know, maybe you did make them think, but yeah, I'm glad you didn't write back just personally. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know. yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, you said that um, you have some good friends that are authors as well. When you were first getting published uh, and first entering the literary community, who did you really want to meet and you got to meet and it was a good experience? Yeah. Um, I think Alyssa Washuda. Um, I, 
wrote my body is a book of rules and I read an an early look at her um, book white magic that's coming out with tin house it's really good Um, so I met her and and she was wonderful Um, in my graduate program I was lucky enough I studied with Katherine Harrison who wrote the kiss which I I love that book Um, and it's interesting because I know a lot of people who say they they can't read it because of the subject matter. She has this incestuous relationship with her father, who she's been estranged from. Um, and, uh, but it's so, it's so beautiful. And she's like one of the most, I, I think like people expect her to be like really on, she's like one of the most stable people I've ever met. Like she's very, people don't expect it. I don't know. Um, and she was just very kind and, she's very kind and funny and generous. Um, yeah, I feel like I've had mostly like positive experiences with writers I wanted to meet. Um, Megan Steelstra, um, essayist, uh, I met her, I was giving a reading at my alma mater before the book came out and she came in the room and I just like recognized her. And I said, I'm so embarrassed. I said very loudly, I was like, oh my gosh, is that Megan Steelstra? <laughs> and <laughs> she like saw me and smiled and turned and like came over and sat with me. And she was so, she's so kind. It's always great when like the writers whose work you like also end up being, there have been times that it hasn't quite aligned. Sure. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but she's such a like, oh, I mean, a wonderful writer, very funny and just a good human. Nice. Always great to hear, yeah. Yeah, it is. How would you say your love or joy of reading has changed since you became a published author and writer? I think in some ways, I mean, I'm getting better at it, but it used to be I would read in a much more utilitarian way. Like, what can I, like, take from this? What can I steal and, you know, like, hide the evidence? Like, what can I, like, (laughs) imitate um, or, like, take a technique from? And I, so I, I used to read more in that vein after, um, uh, after I published The Glass Eye. And then, and now I'm like much looser. I just read at whatever. Um, so it hasn't, it's like, it's gone back. I just like, I enjoy reading for the sake of reading in a way I did when I was a lot younger, um, before I like became a published author. Um, so I'm, I'm less and less focusing on, um, examining techniques I can, I can take, but for a while there, I think I was just like, so like, must be productive. It's like, so like, I feel like a lot of people are feeling that pressure now under quarantine. It's like, it feels so American to me, like must be productive, must like everything must like self-improve. Um, and I'm just trying to like be and enjoy reading and how I know when I like really love a book is when I start reading it thinking like what can I like how can I take some some like technique from this and then I completely forget and pretty soon I'm 100 pages in and it's like just I can immersed in the experience of reading and that happens to me almost every time with reading all my puny sorrows I just I'll start reading it thinking like how did she get that relaxed voice but it's like this beautiful writing but it doesn't and it doesn't seem it's not overwrought. How did she do that? And then pretty soon I'm just like page 200. That's so Uh, cool that you can reread it as many times as you have and you have the same. Yes. I would be like, I don't know what I would do if I met her. I would, (laughs) I would be, I don't know. I were, I would, she's like my, like I have, I've like, she's a huge writing crush for me. I just, I, I would be so awkward. Fangirl hard. Well, you know, what do you think, and, and maybe it's this book that you were just talking about, but what do you think is a book that you think everyone should read? Definitely, like, All My Puny Sorrows. Um, but I understand, like, obviously, like, that could be difficult for anyone who I've, there's a bookseller I've been, I, I know I've been emailing with her, and it's someone who she knows recently killed himself. And so obviously, like, I would not recommend All My Puny Sorrows. Um, I really love, love, love Sophia Shalmiev's Mother Winter. I think one of your past guests mentioned Mother yes. Winter, and I can't yeah. um, remember which one. Yeah. 
but that is, oh my God. So, and I meeting, so Sophia is like, oh, she's a genius and she's so quick, so much energy, amazing. And my students list, she's, I've assigned, this is the cool thing about being a professor is I get to make people read, right? What I want them <laughs> to read. Um, and so I, Mother Winter is like permanently parked on my nonfiction syllabi and she's video chatted with my students like every semester. And I have them listen to her interview with um, David Neiman on his Between the Covers podcast. And I really recommend it. She's just, you can see how like quick she is, how well read, just how much energy she has. Uh, but Mother Winter, it's really beautiful. Her mother, I realize I'm like mentioning all these books and then I don't provide context. I'm like, it's really beautiful. Um, but her mother, she was taken away from her mother when she was, I can't remember if it was like 12 years old from Russia. Her mother had um, been an alcoholic and her dad took her away and she never really got to say goodbye to her mother. And she was brought to the States and it's her, um, thinking about like, what does it mean to be motherless? And then she's now, she's a mother herself. Um, and it's it's so so beautifully um, lyric and it's got this great four-part structure that's not immediately obvious it's not divided into four parts uh, but it's like when she's in Russia then when she's in the United States when she goes back to Russia to look for her mom and then comes back to the United States um, but it's it's really it's and she was really happy I know with the paperback um, she got added to it it's like Mother Winter a feminist memoir um, oh, cool. So, yeah, yeah. I recommend the book and then like her as a guest. She's like, just so cool. Okay. Okay. So at the end of, as you know, cause you're awesome and listen to our podcast, uh, at the end, we like to talk about, uh, pop culture, give pop culture recommendations. So is there a pop culture item you're obsessed with right now? I'm rewatching like a lot of parks and rec. Like I've seen, I don't know how many times yes. Yes. that, right? I, I was really bummed. I did one of those internet quizzes. Like my friends sent me like some, I don't, some personality tests. Like we were all in a group chat and um, my number one was Willow from Buffy. And I've actually never seen Buffy the Vampires. Like what? I need, I know. Um, and, but then I, I read a summary and I was like, oh no, like she doesn't she like she's gonna destroy the world like she does yeah I know and so I was like oh no and Leslie Nope was my number two like a percentage <laughs> point behind um my friends assured me they're like oh no you got all good people I only recognized Leslie Nope I don't know who any of the other tv people were but um, Leslie Nope is a great one to be mm -hmm. in with yeah yeah my students would call like when I first started teaching would like call me Leslie no because I always like had binder everything was like organized I like binders <laughs> um very important yeah um, uh so definitely like Parks and Rec I've started re I'm like re-watching a lot of stuff have you seen Nathan for you no oh my god it's like the funniest show I never laughed it's on Hulu now there are four seasons I don't think I've ever laughed so hard at a show so he's Canadian he has this like really dry sense of humor. He went to business school and the premise of the show is he's going to give business advice to these struggling businesses. So for example, um, he, one of the best ones is a, the gas station rebate. He's trying to help a gas station um, that isn't getting as many customers. And so they're going to offer lowest gas price in the country, but it's like after rebate, but the rebate, like all of the shows, it's like ridiculous concept. The rebate, like, ends up being you can't mail it in you have to it's an hour and a half away you have to drive to the base of a mountain and you have to climb this mountain and the rebate box at the top but then nobody like he's shocked that some people take him up on this and like they're gonna get like ten dollars back or something so he's like who are these people um and then this fine print is that you have to stay overnight on the mountain but you also have to answer a series of riddles and it's so it was like so funny that was one of them and then that there's one i really love where um to help a hotel because the hotel will like do they tend to do better business when families stay they stay for longer periods 
But Nathan Fielder says, well, like what? Like the thing that's frustrating for parents, he thinks, is that they can't have sex when their kids are in the room. So he builds a box that looks like a spaceship. I mean, there's air, like there's, it's soundproof. And <laughs> there's like, they're getting air into the box and there's a siren. The kid can press a button if there are issue, issues and then like the siren lights up. But like it, there are like glow in the dark stars and like animal noises and coloring books. And the kid is in the box and then the parents can have sex and the kid won't hear. <laughs> But for the episode to try it out, they get a child actor and the parents like understand what's going on. Um, and he hires porn stars to have sex in the room. And then he hires like seven of them to have an orgy just to make sure that you can't hear anything. Um, it's just, he's one of the funniest comedians I've ever seen. And I feel like right now that has been so good yeah I'm really bummed that like it's it's over Errol Morris called the season finale where he helps if I'm rem I have to rewatch it he helps a Bill Gates impersonator find his long lost love um Errol Morris called it the best thing he's ever seen um so yeah I recommend excellent yeah. okay it sounds very absurd and that's kind of what we love need it in these times mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> Well, Jeannie, that's the end of our questions. Uh, we had such a good time. I hope you did as well. Oh my gosh, yes. And like I wanted to ask, there's so much actually I wanted to ask you and Amy, I'm so excited for your book. Thank you so much. I, I did want to say thank you too for the really kind words that you sent over about. Well, I, I subscribed to so many Lit Mags. Epiphany is um, one of them. And I like, I like, I read so many lit mags and I recognized when I saw that you had work at Epiphany, I was like, wait, I grab, I went to my shelf of lit mags and many, it's, it's a problem, but I had the breakout issue, the breakout eight and I grabbed it. I was like rereading your story. It's remarkable. Thank you so much. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's so good. The way you hear that. Time. Yeah. Like my book will be a small press from Portland as well. So small presses unite. Yes. Yes. Erin, mm -hmm. we just finished our conversation with Jeannie Vanasco. So great. Again, we could have stayed on all day. Yes. Yeah. I wish that we did. I wish we were just still on a Zoom call with her. I know. Yeah. It was really terrific. Yeah. What did uh, what do you like about it? Well, one of the first things that I was very much relating to mm -hmm. was when she was discussing how other girls her age had crushes on Leonardo DiCaprio yes. mm -hmm. and she was all about the comedians like yeah. David Spade you know that's so <laughs> the guys I, on taxi yes, like yeah yeah I yeah. can totally uh -huh. get on board with that for 100%. sure yeah I liked that I also liked that she read War and Peace at Cedar Point Amusement Park <laughs> because <laughs> I just love that image of her of just this big fat book in her hands all the other youths are running around and going on roller coasters barf yeah she wanted to read war and peace so great yeah and which is a true testament to her storytelling ability because also telling us that she drove off the road yes listening to lolita <laughs> as an audiobook with jeremy irons as the narrator is now something i'll never forget well yeah i mean i could see how that would happen his voice yes. is very intoxicating oh Ooh. I like I like you like that there. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh -huh. Uh -huh. I you knew I was gonna like our cat discussion yes. and that she names her cats after authors I also and you got quite a kick out of this <laughs> um she's had two three-legged cats and feels like she has to explain that she didn't do it I don't know why that struck me as so funny. I think because I could relate. Like, I would have that same. I could imagine yeah. that panic yeah. of being like, no, like, I, I didn't, didn't. No, I didn't do it. I had nothing to do with no. that missing leg, to be clear. <laughs> and then just making it more awkward by insisting that For you sure. had nothing to do with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I love, too, that she likes to go to indie bookstores and just, like, be a salesperson. Well, you know, she's there. That was true. Have you read this? Have you read this? Which is also part of the magic of indie bookstores. Because can you imagine being in a bookstore and having her come up to you and recommend a book? I'd be yeah. like, okay, I'll buy everything. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me what to read next. Yeah. 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 You know, on a more serious note, we talked about some <laughs> of the funny stories, but 
a couple of the things that she talked about, particularly when she said that she was getting letters from rapists in prison mm -hmm. about her book, mm -hmm. that's so heavy and so has heavy. to be so difficult to go through, but is also a testament to the importance of writing and being vulnerable and sharing these stories. Yeah. And if we didn't have it out there, you know, what a lack that would be. Absolutely. Yeah. And then it's always infuriating to read about people that like, read the book, take the time to write a letter yes. to her about the fact that they didn't like the book and then pick out the thing that's least related to the entire point of the book and get pissed about it. Yes. I, yeah, you didn't like it, but you took the time to write me. So yeah. I'm in there somewhere. Right. I'm in that mind of yours <laughs> hanging out. And also that's how you're spending your pandemic. Okay. Yeah. All right. Cool. That's uh, cool. you know, cool, cool, cool. Listen, Aaron and I have done some strange things in quarantine. I haven't started writing hate mail. I don't think I'm going to go there. Wait, are you going to go there? The look on your face says, huh, that might be an idea. I mean, I think there's certain people that deserve hate mail. Well, that's true. I don't think that the authors are in that Oh, no, 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 not but... at all. But, oh, you're right. Mm -hmm. We should start sending some nasty. Oh, that would be therapeutic as hell. Nastygrams. <laughs> <laughs> and, and also on that serious note that fans will either write her or come up to her and talk about their own assault history. I think you and I have always been very curious about memoir writers in particular and how there, that must be, in some ways, a burden to mm -hmm. take on that that trauma and hearing other people's stories. Yes, absolutely. I can't even imagine. But again, you know, to be able to handle that, to be able to write about that, um, it's an amazing gift to the rest of us, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Another gift that she gave to me that I'm loving <laughs> She recommended in the pop culture part the show called Nathan for You. Uh, yes. And when you took said, that recommendation. Oh, I took it and I ran with it and I've never laughed so hard. <laughs> I, I'm not lying. Mike and I watched the first episode and I paused it because I was laughing too hard. <laughs> I didn't want to miss anything. It is glorious. One Didn't you say, too, that from the description, you hadn't quite understood that it was like a, a, a real thing, like yeah, that he's doing this? Yeah, I guess I thought this. it was a yeah. com, like a sitcom that mm -hmm. somebody wrote, but this is like... Like a reality TV show gone bad. Like uh -huh. he goes into these places and is acting as though he's giving real business advice and gets people to play along. And my favorite in episodes we've watched so far is that he goes into an interview. He's trying to prove the idea that confidence will get you anything. Oh. If you have confidence, it doesn't matter anything okay. else. So he goes into a job interview at a law firm and has a seven-year-old answer the questions in a mic in his ear and he can only say <laughs> what the seven-year-old says and i have not laughed so hard why do you want to work here because it looks like a place bad guys wouldn't come <laughs> <laughs> and now you don't get hired after that i don't know but anyway seriously great loving that show loving that recommendation spot on for just me. yeah just another reason Jeannie vanasco is cool as hell yeah Seriously. And yeah. she'll forever in my mind be tied with that show. Yeah. Because yeah. I got that recommendation from her. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, guess what? We will be back next Wednesday with our regular weekly themed episodes. In the meantime, you can head to our website, broadsandbooks.com. Check out all of those episodes. Check out some of our other bonus episodes. We've talked to some incredible authors with some great recommendations. Yes. It's time to add to your... To your read list. It is. And if you subscribe now, you get them all direct to you. You don't have to wait to hear about it through the grapevine. No, that's amateur Comes hour. Right to yes. <laughs> yeah. Come on now. Freaking amateur hour. Yes. We're bringing you the literary big hitters. So subscribe. <laughs> get on it. Exactly. Happy reading. I'm up again. Same night, another dream. Before trying this recording thing, I didn't remember much of anything of these dreams. I didn't remember much from any of the women. And one night of doing this, and it's broken things open. The dreams are, they're in me, and they're, they're coming out of me, and... Talk to me. I am not broken. I am the most whole, most real. Their despair. I cause their despair. I wait for the word. I wait for the word. Witch. 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 Look at the mad woman in her cage. She was a woman with holes inside her. 
was the heaviest factor, the final evidence, the heart of the issue. Somehow, you understand this. You, you, you hear me. Wherever you are, whatever this is, you... This isn't a dream journal anymore. It's not. That's just, it's just fact. <laughs> because now this is, this is some sort of record. What are these dreams? Maybe there's a better question. Who are these women? Weird Woman is a Broads and Books production. All nine episodes are available January 10th. Listen and subscribe to Weird Woman on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and your favorite podcast platform. That's W-Y-R-D Woman, wherever you listen to podcasts.